Anybody excited to be in the house of God today? Maybe some mids, some mids. Thank you. I'm so excited to be in the house of God. I'm so excited just to uh, be here with you all. I want to just give thanks to God. I want to give thanks to God for everything he's doing in this ministry. Amen. I'm just excited for everything that God has for this church, for you. Amen. What God has for this church is not for me. Please realize that. I don't benefit from it. You benefit from it. We benefit from it. And so when we say we're excited about what God's doing, you should be excited about what God's doing because it's for you. It's for your growth, for your manifestation. Amen. I want to share with you some things today that have been on my heart for, not for weeks, not for months, but for the better part of three years. And for three years, I have worked these thoughts in my head. Amen. And it's still funny that after three years, it's still being developed. But I believe that the Lord wants me to share a portion of it with you all today. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. You've got to help me out there, Manny. Take my highs down, put the mids up, and put the bass in. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And I want to be clear with you today. I want to be really clear with you. With all my heart, I believe that what we're going to hear today will be somebody say extremely beneficial to my walk in Christ. I'll say it one more time. Extremely beneficial to my walk in Christ. My goal as a pastor is not, is not to get you excited about God in the sense of emotion but excite your spirit to be united with God one day. We're not here as a church to push you into an emotional encounter with God. I'm going to say that one more time. We're not here to push you into an emotional encounter with God. Somebody say emotional encounter. We're not here to make us just cry on Sunday because we're so excited about God. By Monday morning, we're wasted. We have nothing left. Somebody say, that is not the goal. I am not here to pump you up with a spiritual five-hour energy. That is not the goal, that you come crashing down by 5 p.m. when you cuss somebody out. Oh, somebody say amen. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Ever been to a great service, but by 5 p.m., somebody upset you? How about this? You're at a great service, and maybe your kids, your spouse, somebody upsets you on the way out. You know what I'm talking about? And you, I remember one time when I was younger, I went with, to youth camp with Yvette. Yvonne was there, I believe. I think, believe both the twins were there. The first year we went to Brigadoon, we drove down there to Alabama. We drove down there. I was with a couple of the teens. And we were leaving the camp. And as we were leaving, something transpired. Like, we were just out the gate of the camp. And something happened where the whole car erupted in a fight. Remember that event? You there? Cussing each other out, just like effing each other up and down. It went, it went off. Like we were serious about our arguments. And I thought to myself, at some point, somebody said, we, we just left youth camp. Are you kidding me? We just left. A week of being in God's presence, and this is what we're going to act like now? That's not what we're here for at GBA. 
And I say that because there's a ton of emotional churches in our city. But the problem with the church is rarely does the Christian move from being a babe in Christ to a mature Christian. Rarely does the believer ever move from that realm of always repenting, always asking, begging God forgiveness, and just moving into the I'm a mature Christian. You, you follow me so far? So, like I said, we're not here to give you Red Bull that makes you fly in the spirit when you can't even crawl in your personal life with Christ. We're not here for that. Years ago, I was in prayer, and I said to the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, I just don't understand why Christians don't know how to act concerning their salvation. For when, when I used to say I'm saved, what would, what would happen in my life is I would change everything in my life. I would remove all the sinful things that I knew did not honor God, and I would chase after God with everything in me. I was not perfect, but as Paul said, I believe it's in Philippians 3.16, I have not attained it, but yet I reach on, I, I press forward to grab that which Christ has already grabbed for me. And the way I do it is I forget what's behind me. I said, Lord, I just don't know exactly how to tell these people how they should act about Christianity. And God gave me five things instantly. And I want to share these things with you over the next couple of weeks of five principles, five keys you can call it, five whatever. They're not the only things you should do, but they're five of the most essential things you must do as a Christian in order to, to succeed. Amen? If your goal is not to grow as a Christian, you're in the wrong place. I promise you, because by the time the end of this year, you're going to be like still in spiritual kindergarten. We're going to have people that are, you know, graduating high school. You with me? Write these down. We should be taking notes because when you, when you take notes, you can be able to go home and review them and look after what the Lord is speaking, keep you in line with the church, what's going on when your prayer time, reread the scriptures. And number one, the number one thing God gave me, and this is an acronym for the word, you can write this down, react. React. God, how should we react to salvation? React. And the number one thing God said is we should have a daily mind of repentance. And I'll explain this, but I want to give you all five really quickly and then begin to cover the first one. Number two is the principle of effective, effective Christianity. How many of you guys want to be effective in your walk in Christ? The third one is the principle of the accountable believer, being accountable for what you do accountable to God, accountable to God for how you speak, how you act, where you go, what do you do? Am I an accountable believer to God? Number four, this one's tough. This is gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do week four. I might call in sick. It's the correctable believer. When someone can walk up to you and say, listen, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. When God can come and discipline you and work on you and say, listen, that's wrong, this is wrong, we need to be correctable as believers, amen? Number five, one of the most important ones is teachable. And the Lord gave me them in this order, for he said to me, if one is not repentant, he cannot be effective. If one is not effective, he can never be accountable because he's not doing anything right for God, so he'll never hold himself accountable for the things of God. And if he's not accountable, you can't correct him because he ain't doing nothing right. And if he's not correctable, he won't be teachable because he don't want to hear what you have to say because he's right and he knows everything. 
My wife showed me an ad in the paper just the other day. A man said, uh, selling an uh, entire Encyclopedia Britannica collection. He said, just got married, wife knows everything. That's, just, that's how we are with Christ. We get married, we try and get married to Christ, and we just know everything, and we don't tell God nothing. We just, God, I know what I'm doing. You live me, live my life. You live yours, and I meet you in heaven when I come. That's the kind of mindset we take on, rather than what pleases you, what works in you. So we're looking at Acts chapter 3, and we're talking today about the mindset, somebody say the mindset of repentance. Acts 3.19, the apostle writes this, repent then and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Come on, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence grateful for the, for the opportunity to enter into this place. Thankful for what you're doing, Father God. And we're expecting from you today, God. God, let this word fall on good soil. Ears ready to hear your word. People willing to do your will, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. Repent. Then in turn to God, it's written here that we as believers should repent in order that our sins might be, somebody say, wiped away. In order that our sins might be wiped away, the greatest key to a Christian life is to be repentant. The issue is, because we don't understand what repentance means, we, we have a bad idea of it, we never really do it the right way. The word repentance does not mean to ask God for forgiveness. Asking God forgiveness is what you do at the altar. Repentance is what we do at home. And so repentance is a Greek compound word uh, called the metaneo. And this word means a couple of different things. But listen to this. The first definition is a change of the mind. A change of of feelings, a change of intentions, which lead to a change in your plans. It means to reflect on the past with new knowledge, looking towards the future. So now you've been armed with the fact that we're living in sin. It comes into our mind. We look and reflect over our life and say, wow, all those things I was doing were sinful. I should stop them. I'm now different. I changed my actions. I changed my plans. And so I will be repentant. And so the last definition is when you change your mind, you ready for this? It's pretty simple. It's to reconsider a first opinion when the truth is revealed to you. So first, premarital sex was okay. You got saved, now you know it's not okay. Change your opinion on it, and that means you change your action. You won't do it no more. That's not the Christian way. The Christian way is we ask forgiveness, do it again. Ask forgiveness, do it again. Ask forgiveness, do it again. God knows my heart. Ask forgiveness, do it again. Do it again, do it again. Then ask forgiveness, do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Then ask forgiveness. That's the Christian way. Curse somebody out, then feel sorry. That's the Christian way. That's not God's way. Somebody say, it's not God's way. By implication, this word repentance in Greek 
means a change of mind from one thing to another. Listen, in which two positions are mutually exclusive. Rather, simply meaning a change totally of the way you think. It's not just a changed mind. It is a complete reversal of your attitude, your opinion, your actions, and your beliefs towards the idea of sin. So the apostle says, repent. He means change the fact that you're in love with sin. He's not saying, beg God forgiveness. We that's what we do. God, forgive me. That's fine. God will forgive you. He's a gracious God. But rather, God would care that we would change our idea of sin and be disgusted by sin. Anybody here today? Repenting is not saying you're sorry or answering an altar call. It's an abandoning of your sinful desires and ways, and you accept God's will and God's desires. True repentance is desiring a God, and it'll grow a hunger in you. And the hunger for God will substitute your hunger for sin. And so rather than sinning, you have a relationship with God. Is this making sense so far? If at any point it does not raise your hand, I will slow down. I have all day. This is my full-time job. I preach. Maybe you don't have all day. Maybe you plan the rest of your day. I'm just kidding. Let me stop. True repentance it's not simply an I'm sorry, because everybody knows in a relationship when you hurt someone, an I'm sorry doesn't cut it. You say, change the way you act, or you're out the door. All your things, were to the left, was it? Just... Isn't that how it goes? If she don't act right, you say, listen, girl, you either delete all those numbers, or I'm out. Or she says, listen, you got to leave my house. I'm not dealing with your cheating ways. I'm not going to deal with it. Isn't that how it goes? We don't just sit there and say, hey, I cheated on you today. Could you imagine I walked in my house and said, hey, honey, I cheated, but I'm sorry, so it's okay. Could you imagine that? Jose, could you imagine? You, you try that? Could you? Could you, would you, would you? Where's Reuben now? Would you try that, Reuben? Hey, Lori, by the way, yeah, I cheated on you. I just want to let you know. And uh, it's okay because I know you forgive me. Isn't that just irrational? But why do we do it to God? Oh, by the way, Lord, Jesus, <laughs> you are <laughs> spiritually my bride. I'm engaged to you, but uh, yes, I slept with the devil. And so um, forgive me. And it's going to be okay. Forgive me. It'll be all right. Isn't that what we do? It seems funny, but the joke's on you that what you're doing can lead you to hell. Laugh now, burn later. <laughs> just... Isn't that how it goes? True repentance is a developing of a mindset in line with the heart of God and that rejects sin at the birthplace of the mind. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we should cast down all imaginative thoughts, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, not bringing, or rather, and bringing into captivity every thought Every thought in obedience to Christ. You should make your fornicating thoughts come in obedience with Christ. Make your thoughts of addiction come in obedience 
with Christ. The mindset of repentance rejects sin at every turn. So if daily I am repentant, it means every day I wake up. And I'm not saying I'm sorry. Rather, I'm already repentant. And so when sin comes my way, I say, no, that's not of, that's not of God. And so I rebuke it. I remove it from my life. Anybody here? Resist the devil and he will, not with us, resist the devil to us means that he's going to keep on coming. So why try and resist? Let's just give in to the enemy. As God said to Cain, in the book of Genesis, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you. Don't you realize the sin that is in you desires to master you? It desires to control you as a puppet. The Bible says we are hard-pressed on every side. We're crushed and perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're attacked, but not destroyed. Yes, we're going through things at all times. And temptation does not help. But yet every day, if you awoke with a mind that says, I am repentant, I don't like sin, my mind is changed about sin, then you get this, you, you will really break out into victory in your life. That's when, that's when you'll be a Christian for, for a whole year, three years, and, and you won't deal with the same sins you dealt with when you came into church. I don't know if you just caught that. Because when you're repentant, that's why I love, I love talking to people because I say, when's the last time you were dealing with some new sins in your life? And they look at me like I'm dumb. But when they think about it, they say, Pastor, none. I've been struggling with these same demons for years because you never had a victory. You never repented. You let them in your room just change. You let them in your home just change the room they stayed in. I'm pressed. I'm persecuted by the sin that lives in me that I cannot help. It's in my flesh from my birth. I can't maintain this. I can't understand it. But yet, if I maintain a mind of God, if I say no, God is holy. God is righteous. God is is the author and the finisher of my faith. And when sin comes my way, I reject it with the word of God as Jesus did. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy came to tempt him. All he did was speak the word at him. It is written, it is written, it is written, and the enemy fled. The Christian nowadays, we just ask forgiveness, we don't repent. And because God is so merciful, he forgives. But you never grow in your spirit. Hebrews 6.1, you should write this down, you should put it in your Bible, asterisk next to it, highlight it, email it to yourself, text it to yourself, Facebook it, tweet it, whatever you want to do, Instagram it, I don't care. The church needs to learn this scripture. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. I have to stop laying down this foundation of begging God to forgive me. The foundation of repentance, listen now, the foundation is when you come to Christ, you give your life to him, he forgives you all of your sins. I need you to really understand the way the Lord gave this to me last night as I was talking to Minister Jose. The Lord said it to me like this. Uh, see, when you go to court, you can testify against someone. When you testify against someone, See, I had a situation once where, where they said to me, um, um, you can go to jail too. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And they said, but you have information that might help us. 
And so what they did was they gave me a proffer. And what a proffer is, is you go into court and you can testify before the district attorney and your lawyer. You testify everything. You can sit there and say, I killed five people. Their bodies are here. They're doing this. They're there. I did this. I did that. And they cannot prosecute you for none of it because you're under a legal agreement. I need you to understand me. Follow me here. When you come to Christ, he says, listen, I forgive you all your sins. Just confess them. Just confess them. The devil can't hold them against you. It's under the blood. Just confess them. So if you would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You getting this today? And so, and so spiritually, when you come before God, he, 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 the Bible says that you should confess your sins. But he would, when Jesus, your lawyer, advocates for you, the Bible says he's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, making intercession. When the enemy comes and says, listen, Carlos did this in the Bible, he confessed that. He's all right. He's clear. It's, it's in the proffer. He confessed that. Understand, that's the foundation of repentance. Now, as you build repentance, you begin to reject sin. You reject sin. Nobody want to say amen to that. I'm going to say it again. We reject sin. We reject the urge to curse. We reject the urge to yell at someone. We reject the urge to act in ways that lash out and don't represent God. We reject those urges to sin, to do things that are not of God. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus Christ. He had one message, and it was repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus came next, had one message at the core. He had one message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. First it was near, now it's here. We should start repenting. He said, it's time to change your mind about everything you think. It's a paradigm shift from one thing to another. First sin's okay, then sin should not be. Somebody say, not be okay. A changing of the mind is a necessity. But I believe the church has bought into a lie. And I want to explain this to you. There's two types of sin in your life. One is what the Bible refers to as knowingly sinning. Things you do on purpose, you know is sin. And then there's things that God is so holy, God is so righteous, that there's things you don't even know you've done that are sin. And the Bible says those are unknowingly sinning. Unknowing sins, rather. So there's knowingly sinning and then unknowingly sinning. Have you got this so far? Taking baby steps here. Sinning knowingly, unknowingly. Jesus John chapter 8, 11, don't turn there, I'll paraphrase. The adulterous woman comes up. He says to her, listen, let he who without sin cast the first stone. They all leave. He looks at her and says, go and sin no more. Meaning go and don't be caught up in the line of sin that got you to me in the first place. Christians nowadays, we believe so strongly that we cannot go a day without sinning. We don't try. But Jesus said, go and sin no more. You with me so far? And so we buy into the lie that we can't be holy. We buy into this lie that we can't fight sin the way God has required us to. For the Bible says that he's coming back for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. God's not looking to come back to come rapture up a church struggling 
with elementary sins. I, I don't know if you're hearing this. God is not coming back for a church that are dealing with baby sins. But rather, we've bought into this lie that I have sin in me and I am a sinner. And so as I thought about this, I, the Lord said, when someone is diagnosed with a cancer, does it make them a cancer? I said, no. He said, just because you have sin in you doesn't make you a sinner. He said, at your core, in your spiritual DNA, because of the fall of man, you have sin in you. But my blood, just like chemotherapy sends a cancer into remission, the Bible says the blood was for the remission of sins. I need you to get this. So I said to the Lord, I, I was talking to him just this whole week, and I said, I, let me get this right. He says to me, well, understand a person who has a cancer in their body, most of the time, 99% of the time, has a genetic predisposition. Meaning genetically, they're more likely to contract a cancer or to grow a cancer or whatever it may be. He said, although the, the, the chemotherapy and the medications can take this cancer and remove it to the point of it's not in the body, there is still a chance because of this genetic predisposition that it can grow back, come back in some way, some form, some fashion. Someone whose cancer has been into remission, you never hear them say, I'll never get it again. That's not true. The doctor never told them that. It can come back. I've seen it in multiple people in my own life. And so the Lord said to me, when I, when I shed my blood, it took your sin and put it into remission. But you have a genetic predisposition to sin. I don't know if you understand this. And so we sin, thinking we can't not sin. When in reality, we can stop sinning. I'm not saying that we can be perfect before God. I'm not saying we're going to be holy rollers just like walk around with halos on our head, but there's a certain level of control we can have over the actions in our life. There's a level of control, of self-control that you can have over what you speak, where you go, what you do, who you do it with. Anybody hearing this today? We need to repent daily in the sense of not saying, God, forgive me, but saying, Lord, my mind has changed about sin. I don't want that no more. Stop thinking of yourself as just a lousy sinner, but rather think of yourself as someone who's cleaned and purified by the blood of God, of Jesus. The issue is repentance has turned into an action rather than an attitude. We just say, God, I'm sorry, and that's repentance. No. No. It's an attitude that you develop and say, I don't want these things no more. Some people have a bad attitude with you when they first don't know you. After they get to know you, things are all right. They were saying to you, I don't know why I was so mean to you in the beginning. You're actually pretty nice. We should vice versa that with sin and have a nasty attitude with sin. I don't want sin in my life. I don't desire sin in my heart. I don't want sin in my, in my being. Anybody here with me? We should not ask for forgiveness of the Lord in order to not go to hell. But rather, we should have an attitude of repentance that we really feel sorry about our sins. 
Our words must be aligned with our attitude. We can't just say I'm sorry but not mean it because there's always those people when someone can wrong you and they come back to you and say, I'm sorry. In your heart, you know they don't mean they're sorry. But then there's other people who come before you, they've wronged you, they don't say sorry, but their countenance, their attitude, and their actions let you know you don't ever have to worry about that happening again. Which one would you rather have? The person whose attitude and actions are correct. Anybody here today? As we go forward in our Christian faith, our attitude has got to change towards sin. We should be grossed out by sin. Got one amen. I was waiting for somebody. We should be grossed out by sin. We should not entertain sin. We should not, we should not fall in love with sin. We should not allow sin to be in us all the time and just festering in us. You see, the problem with sin is it's fun, and we love sin. But I guarantee you something, God is fun, and you can love God. You see, the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleans us from all sin. Revelations 1, 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, talking of Jesus. Revelations 12, 11, and they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who the eternal spirit offered himself up without spot to God, purge our conscience. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered. The blood of Christ is to wash us away from sin. Amen? But it is not meant to stop you from sinning. The blood of Christ washes away your sin. The mind of God stops you from sinning. So, the blood of Christ washes away my sins, but I have to develop the mind of God in order to stop sinning. If I don't develop a mindset and an attitude that chases after God, then all my forgive me, God, forgive me, God's are worthless. And as the Bible says, I crucify Jesus over and over and over and over and over. You hear with me today? What I would say to you is don't medicate the sickness of sin in your body with the blood of Jesus, but eradicate it with the mind of God. Don't just, don't just take a spiritual aspirin all the time. Begin to say, I don't want sin in my life. I don't want to deal with always feeling worthless before God. Anybody here today with me? I believe that we can walk every day, every day and say, you know what? I'm repentant. I'm a changed person. I'm a new creation. You won't act the same. You won't be the same. Your words will begin to, to, to be able to, to grow fruit in your life. As the Bible says, and I'll tell you right now, the Bible says, uh, in, uh, where are we at right here? In the book of Acts. And I want you to really write this down. Rather, the book of Matthew 3.8. Therefore... Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Your actions, your actions should be worthy of repentance. Meaning, you're saying, God, I'm sorry. How you act should reflect that you're not going to fall back into that sin no more. Are you here with me today? 
the, the church has taken advantage of grace. The gospel has become too, too friendly in the sense of people don't want to talk about sin. They just say God's grace is able. God's grace, God's grace is, is sufficient. Yes, God's grace is sufficient. Yes, he will forgive all your sins. Yes, he loves you. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, or rather chapter 6, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. We died to sin. Anybody died to sin? How can we live in it any longer, he says. How can we live in sin if we said we've died to it? How can we talk the way we talk, act the way we act, do what we do behind closed doors, watch the things we watch that we've got no business watching? How can we do it if we've said we died to sin? And you wonder why you can't mature in your spirit. We haven't died to sin. A key to, to really having a repentant heart is to understand your position versus God's position. His worthiness, your complete unworthiness. David, Psalms 51. Turn there with me, Psalms 51. Many times, you know, I deal with people and I, I talk to them and they've done something wrong and their attitude is, well, I can't change it now, but it's too late, God forgives me. That should not be your attitude. Your attitude should be that of, I don't want to do this again. It won't happen again. Listen to how David reacts towards his sin. The Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's been caught out in sin, and this is what he says to the Lord. This is one of the greatest views of how you should really pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. My goodness. He says, surely God, you desire truth inside of me. I was sinful at birth since my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. This isn't one of our quick, you know, I messed up, Lord, forgive me. He's saying, God, look at you, look at me. You desire truth, I am untruthful. You getting this? He says, God, you are holy, I am unholy. Forgive me according to your great love. You're great, I am nothing. He comes and he views with the right attitude he comes. And he says, man, I am nothing. I need God to fix me. He comes with the attitude of repentance. Listen to what he says. Very famous scripture. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore the joy. There is joy in salvation, he says. 
Meaning I've lost my salvation because I'm in sin. Restore unto me the joy of this salvation, he says. He says, then I would teach transgressors your way. This is amazing. Jesus' command was go and make disciples of all nations. Basically, disciple them in the ways of Christ. And he says right here, I'll teach transgressors your way. I'll teach people who are in my situation what I did to get back in your good grace, Father God. I'll teach you to chase after you. Save me from my blood guilt, O oh God, the God who saved me. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is my favorite verse right here. Understand, every time in the Old Testament when someone sinned, there had to be a sacrifice of an animal. Every time something, or rather someone sinned, God made them kill an innocent animal. And as they're at the altar killing these innocent animals, they would realize and they would feel bad. I'm killing this innocent animal for something I did. That's what happened throughout the Old Testament. But this is the only story from all the way from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament where there was no animal killed. But this is what David says. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. Meaning, I didn't bring you a sacrifice. I didn't kill nothing. You do not take pleasure in the burnt offerings. But the sacrifice of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And those you will not despise. At this point, David has had this attitude change that is so profound, so deep, and so meaningful that God does not desire a burnt offering from him. He does not desire a blood offering from him. He only desires a broken heart. Isn't that good? God does not want you to die. He doesn't want to see you having to go through tons of stuff. He says, just break your heart for me. Break yourself for me. Let me take control. Let me have you. You here with me today? Is you getting this? David had a repentant heart. The right attitude always possesses the proper actions. And so when you have the right attitude of repentance, your actions daily will honor God. I'm not talking about waking up every morning and saying, God, I'm a sinner, forgive me. That's not what I'm talking about. I am really trying to get this idea to you that every day you wake up, you should reject sin. Every day you awake, you say, God, I don't want these things in my life. God, these things don't honor you. God, these things aren't of you. When temptation comes, realize this, understand this. When temptation comes into your mind, as a man, if you begin to think a, a lustful thought of a woman pops into your head, if you rebuke it, it's not sin. That's just called temptation. If you entertain the thought, that's called sin. When that thought comes, rebuke it. A couple amens. The fellows don't want to rebuke lustful thoughts such as when those ideas come into your mind when those words we shouldn't speak come into our minds church we should reject them not profess them we should reject sin and grow in Christ you would never grow as a Christian ever if you cannot start rejecting sin you can learn about God know all the Bible stories you want but you'll never have the principles to live a Christian life if you cannot stay repentant before God. Repentance is not an event. It is a journey. Something we do every day. Say, God, man, my mind is changing more and more and more and more. Since I became a pastor, I don't believe the same things in Christ I do now. I know so much more. 
I studied to show myself approved. I know so many more things about God than I knew four years ago when I took over this church. Now I know so much more. Why? I've had a repentant mind. And so God will enlighten me with things. Isn't that good? I, I love seeing some of the individuals in this church. I love seeing people like Carlos come in. And I see Carlos start. He gave his life to God at this church. This is the only church he's ever really been to, right? And I've seen him grow so much in the faith. The guy's a, he's a walking, you know, Spanglish encyclopedia for Jesus. He knows so much scripture. He tries to test me. What does this say about that? I'm like, you tell me. <laughs> but I can communicate with him on the same level spiritually because he's growing. Others, I have to speak to you like a child. No, you shouldn't do that because this, because that, because this. We have to grow. Your goal as a Christian should be growth. Yvonne, do you want to grow? You're the only one here. Some people looked at me like, I don't know if I want to grow anymore. Our goals as believers should be that to the, the vision of our church is really, the mission rather, it's very simple. Number one, go and make disciples of all nations. That just makes sense. So as we save people, we lead them to Christ, we disciple them, and then we release them to repeat the process in somebody else. That's the whole mission of the church. Save souls, disciple them, release them so they can do the same. That's how churches grow. That should be our goal, to grow in Christ in order to disciple someone. You know, and I'll close with this. Jesus, in his day, was what you could call he had a rock star status. I mean, everywhere he went, thousands followed. It wasn't when he fed the 5,000, it didn't just happen to be 5,000 people hanging around, unemployed. They were following him. Thousands of men, women, and women following him, calling themselves his disciples. But Jesus only claimed 12. I guess my question to you today would be, if he saw you today, would he claim you? Would he claim you? According to your actions at home, would he claim you? According to your spiritual growth or the lack thereof, would he claim you? We all like to think, I'm with Jesus. I'm with God. I love God. But Jesus himself said that many would come to him and he would say, I've never known you. And we would say, but I cast out demons in your name. I was an usher in the church of God. I was a worshiper. I played the piano while pastor preached. But you don't know me, Lord? I was an associate pastor. I was this. I was that. I was a minister. Could you imagine going to heaven and God saying, get away from me, you doer of iniquity? Because we could not control our personal lives. And the problem is we have personal lives. Could you, could you imagine if I told my wife, honey, leave me alone. This is my personal life. That's not how relationship with God works. There's no personal life with God. Your life with God is your life. Church, it's time that we desired 
to grow in Christ. And if you're saying, Pastor, I really want to grow, the number one thing you have to do is wake up every day and change your mind about sin, about the sin in your life. And that is called repenting. Not asking forgiveness, but saying, God, I'm not going to do this no more. God, I don't like this stuff. I'm not into this stuff no more. Smoking repulses me. Drinking grosses me out. I can't do this no more, God, because it hurts me to hurt you. I cannot explain it any other way but to say that I wouldn't hurt my wife or do things to hurt her simply for one reason and one reason only, and that is because I love her. That's it. I don't need any other reason not to hurt my wife. Sometimes I might deserve some hurting. Sometimes she might deserve it. Sometimes you might deserve it. But because I love her, I will not do it. Not on my worst day. It should be the same with God that on our worst day, we don't break our covenant with him. On our worst day, we're not breaking out of relationship with Jesus Christ. And that starts, it starts, church, it starts with having a mind that is constantly against sin, which is a repentant mind. You're an adversary to sin because you've known the truth and the truth has set you free. And the Bible says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's time that we lived a free life. Free of the bondages of sin. And that we would reject it at its birth, which is in the mind, through the word of God. Come on, stand with me right now. I'm going to really challenge you today, church. I want to challenge you right now. Come on, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to challenge you right now. That this week, maybe you've been dealing with some sins, got some situations in your life, circumstances that are not of God, that are completely created by your actions. But you're saying, Pastor, I want to grow in God more than anything in my life. I want spiritual maturity. Is there anybody? If that's you saying, God, teach me this week, I might have a repentant mind. That I can walk this Christian walk in strength, in power, in authority. That I can walk this Christian walk with the knowing belief, God, that I and truly living after your heart. For David was a man after God's heart. For in all of his psalms, he would say, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, teach me your laws. Lord, teach me your decrees. I will not depart from them. He would say, God, I want to know what you want me to do. How you want me to live. I'm not perfect. But if you tell me to reject sin, I'll reject it. If you tell me to reject it, Lord, I'll do it, Father, for you. Simply Because I love you, for as the Bible says, we have been brought for a price. We've been brought for a price. Church, that that verse, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it declares that if we repent, that God would send us. Thank you, God. 
He would send us times of refreshing. I believe with all my heart, we need some refreshing in this place. People need a refreshing in their spirit. And God says, listen, I can give you that every day, and it comes with repentance. Come on, every head bowed. If that's you today, you're saying, Pastor, I really want prayer. I want to develop a really a mind after God. Come on, we're not going to call you up, but I want you to raise your hand in an act of surrender. Thank you. Thank you. You're saying, man, I want that. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not a sinner like I'm just out there sinning. But I want to reject sin at every possible avenue of my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, there's hands going up all over this place. Come on, come on, keep your heads bowed. If that's you, just say, come on, Pastor, that's me. I don't want this no more. I want to grow in Christ. I don't want to keep on living off the milk. I want the meat of the Word of God. I want more from God. Come on, lift those hands high. Lift them up, lift them up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, come on, praise God. Thank you. You're saying, Pastor, I don't want this anymore. Come on, as a church, we're going to make a promise to God right now. Come on, repeat this prayer after me. Father, once and for all, I want to live a repentant life for you. And I challenge myself before you and this witness right next to me. That you, God, can hold me accountable to my word. That I will run from sin. I will reject it. Father, I will do my best to change how I talk. Change how I act. Change where I go and what I do. That I may do everything in my life to honor you. Father, Wake me up to the sin in my life that I can grow in you and remove that poison from my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, begin to lift your hands and just give him a, a thank you right now. Begin to worship him. And just thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father God. Church. The thing about repentance, the thing about repentance, repentance is all based on your actions, not your words. It's based on how you react to sin when it comes your way. Look to somebody next to you and tell them, this week I'm going to reject sin. I'm going to rebuke it at every avenue I can. That should be your mindset. When it comes, I'm going to fight it with everything I have in me. And if I fall and if I fail, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to confess it to the Lord. And he's going to forgive me all over again. And I'm going to keep on confessing to the Lord. And I will have a victory. I will grow because my mind will be against sin and not for sin. You believe that this week? I want you to be able to come back next week completely challenged. You know, Pastor, this entire week, I finally stopped cursing. Wouldn't that be great? Some folks can say, Pastor, I finally gave up smoking cigarettes once and for all. I gave it up, Pastor. Whatever your testimony may be, fight for it this week. For a testimony has got to come through a fight. That's why they call it a testimony, people. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life this week. I really am. As you fight with all that you have, 
You should be excited. You should leave here really excited that God's going to do some things in your life as he works through you, as you work in him. Amen.